Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. President Joe Biden arrives in Florida to visit the site of a collapsed condo building. Florida officials begin exploring legislation to prevent another building collapse and possible friction between Governor Ron DeSantis and former President Donald Trump over an upcoming rally. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... going to do some number picking now. Uh, Gentlemen, uh, you have some numbers for us today. How about you, John? Yeah, Zach, uh, this week I'm weighing in with a 51. All right. How about you, Antonio? Yeah, gentlemen, you know, I'm you know, trying to make John uh, somewhat envious with my decimals. I am going to go this week with 45.83. All right. Antonio's going uh, decimal crazy lately. He's like the Dewey, uh, John Dewey of, uh, you know, I'm just such a John Kennedy imitator. That's that's really all I do. (laughs) There there was a notable lack of decimal uh, decimals on the show. So thank you for uh, increasing that, Antonio. My number is 10,000. Remember those numbers, folks. Uh, We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. President Joe Biden is visiting Florida today in response to that condo collapse in Surfside. Biden will meet with state and local officials. Antonio, what are you watching for as Biden arrives in Florida? Well, you know, gentlemen, you know, there's one thing you can expect and one thing you can surely not expect. Uh, What you can count on is there will be an emotional meeting at some point with the loved ones of those who are missing and have been lost in this just devastating uh, building collapse. Look, more than any other presidential visit to South Florida that I've witnessed, going back to Jimmy Carter's post-Liberty City ride back in 1980, this one will be deeply empathetic and compassionate. You know, President Biden, you know, arguably more than any other POTUS in modern times, you know, can connect with grief. And that is because, as has been widely reported, Biden is someone who has known more than his share of personal tragedy. In 1972, his wife and one-year-old daughter were killed in a car accident. Then, you know, in 2015, Biden's oldest son, Bo, died of brain cancer. You know, so any public remarks he makes at Surfside will be widely watched for that reason alone, but also because Biden's ability to console is such a marked contrast from his immediate predecessor. Look, former President Trump, we, we saw time and time again was just someone who, as a person, just isn't someone to, that is able to identify with either an individual's or a community's sense of grief and loss. And we saw that after mass shootings. We saw that after natural disasters. You may remember that paper towel toss in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria just ravaged the island. 
And we saw that over and over as hundreds of thousands of Americans died in a pandemic that he repeatedly underplayed. So this is not just something that we in the media talk about because we want to talk about it. It's because it is part of the presidential duties today. It, you know, there's consoling and helping the country to heal after a mass tragedy. Uh, it, it was for Ronald Reagan after the Challenger exploded. It was for Bill Clinton after the Oklahoma City federal building bombing. It was for George W. Bush after the September 11 attack. And it was for Barack Obama after the Sandy Hook Elementary massacre and, you know, and all the other mass shootings. Uh, you know, Democrats and Republicans, it doesn't matter the party. The country expects its top leader to console and heal. And you will see that plenty of today. One other thing that you can see today is going to be a lot of cordiality and a lot of you know, bipartisanship on behalf of the president and Governor Ron DeSantis. And in fact, we got one of the early pool reports where President Biden you know, told uh, DeSantis, a Republican governor, and Miami-Dade Mayor Danielle Levine Cava, who's a Democrat, told them that he believes that the federal government has the power to pick up 100 percent of the cost of this emergency, you know, crisis that we have in Surfside, which would be, you know, a, a relief, at least to some extent, to local and state officials. Um, you know, uh, Levine Cava, you know, thanked Biden for coming, but she also and, and said that the the you know, the work that they've done with the federal government has been an incredible collaboration, quote unquote. You know, she also thanked DeSantis for his calm and steady leadership. DeSantis, you know, said to Biden, you know, that he recognized that Biden had recognized the, sever the severity of the cr tragedy from day one. And he's been very supportive. You know, there's been no bureaucratic red tape. They're getting, you know, all the assistance they need. So everybody has been on their best behavior. Now, the one thing that you will not probably see today there is a Biden-DeSantis hug. And of course, I'm referring to the embrace between then-President Barack Obama and then-Governor Charlie Crist. Obama, of course, a Democrat. Crist at the time was a Florida's Republican governor. That embrace at the time that Obama was in Florida pitching and you know campaigning for that um, big uh, Great Recession stimulus bill, they, they met in a, in a spirit of bipartisanship. They gave each other a hug. And that was basically the undoing of Charlie Crist, as he later wrote. It was the undoing of his uh, career as a Republican leader in Florida. So, um, you know, we'll see. You know, uh, there's been a lot of uh, Zach. You know, we've all talked about the potential for a DeSantis Biden in 2024 uh, face off in the presidential run. The two have had a volatile relationship. But today it, it is all about bipartisanship and the, the, the loved ones that have been lost or are missing at the site. And I think you're going to see nothing but cordiality and bipartisanship. Yeah, no hug, Antonio, but there, there's been video released already of them sitting next to each other and, and Biden even, you know, stated uh, the, the obvious here, but, you know, that they're they are cooperating. He said, quote, when it's really important, um, you know, we're letting the nation know we can cooperate when it's really important. This is life and death. I mean, this is something that people would expect. I mean, it, it seems like obvious that, uh, you know, when you have a mass casualty event that you put politics aside, but, um, you know, not necessarily so obvious in recent years, right? <clears throat> no, it has not been. And this is something that, you know, plays to Biden's suit. I mean, he campaigned on the idea that we needed to return to more bipartisanship, to reaching across the aisle, whereas DeSantis comes from the Trump camp, which is very hard edged, very determined in their policies and their positions. Compromise for that part of the electorate is a dirty word. So, uh, you know, this is a scene that 
if you were looking at it from Machiavellian terms and being, you know, politically looking at it, it does play more to Biden. But at the same time, look, the fact of the matter is people are really suffering down here. I, I've been to the site. It is somber. It is sad. It, it is it is devastating. That's what people expect. And, and that's what these two gentlemen need to deliver. All right. Well, as the Surfside disaster continues to unfold and the death count uh, keeps rising, Florida lawmakers already are talking about ways to prevent future disasters. There's talk of more and better inspections and better building codes. John, what have you heard so far? I know you've been talking to some uh, elected officials in the state about what uh, kind of laws they're they're thinking about going forward. Yeah, well, it, it, it's likely the Surfside collapse will prompt action by the state legislature, although it's a little hard to tell just what may emerge right now. Uh, House and Senate Democrats who uh, represent the area uh, say that more regulatory action is needed to uh, Clearly, uh, the the Senate Democratic leader, Lauren Book, has talked about a task force that she thinks should be formed that would be similar to what lawmakers did following the uh, the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School um, in an effort to sort of determine the direction for action going forward. Uh, Senator Jason Pizzo, whose uh, district includes Surfside, he told me this week that he is likely to file legislation that would focus on uh, building requirements, uh, reinspection standards for older buildings, uh, the the risk of seawater intrusion, and the uh, and, and the financial obligation obligations of uh, condominium associations. These are all issues that have kind of become, you know, sadly, glaringly uh, visible of, of, of shortcomings uh, in, in all the, the detail that we're hearing about how Surfside collapsed. Um, but, but, but so far, kind of remarkably, leading Republicans haven't said much. Uh, Governor uh, DeSantis seems to be taking a uh, longer view of the disaster. He said it was important to review what will be the eventual findings by the National Institute of Standards and Technology. That's a uh, agency that's part of the U.S. Commerce Department. Um, they're, they're, they've been joined in the uh, investigation now, and uh, th- this agency has investigated four major deadly events in the last 20 years, uh, including the 2001 collapse of the World Trade Center towers, um, and they've now are part of uh, helping uh, Surfside and Miami-Dade officials uh, conduct a, a structural review of uh, the uh, Champlain Tower South. Uh, but but the, these findings are likely months away. Uh, and of course, uh, legislative committees aren't scheduled to begin meeting again until September with the uh, regular session starting in January. So there's, there's time now for some fact-finding and maybe you know, nothing is clear about what should be done yet, but it seems that with, you know, each passing day, there are more signs that Florida's building inspection requirements are fairly lax. Uh, they are underfunded, understaffed, and uh, show signs of really just not having kept up with technology changes when it comes to things like using sonar, uh, infrared, and uh, other technologies uh, in trying to uh, gauge the, the, the security of a building. And uh, of course, the the recertification program for buildings 40 years and older, which uh, the, the, the Tower South building was in the process of uh, just beginning its review, uh, that, that's something that's demanded only in Miami-Dade and Broward counties, which uh, Pizzo said is something that really should be required statewide. But um, 
you know, the Republican controlled legislature tends to side with industry in many issues. So there is likely going to be a a hesitancy or at least kind of a push and pull about, you know, do they go too far with any added regulations or oversight standards that may add to the cost or uh, blunt development? Um, But it's pretty obvious that Floridians who live in coastal condos across the state, well, they they, they span party lines. They're they're not all Democrats living in these condos, and it's it's clear that there are plenty of Floridians who have become very nervous about the integrity of their own buildings and are looking for some kind of reassurance since the uh, Surfside disaster. But um, that effort alone, I think, is. Uh, going to bring the legislature into action on toughening standards and requirements to provide at least a veneer of confidence maybe to people. But um, again, this doesn't look like an issue that many state leaders want to get out ahead on. And, uh, you know, at at least while recovery efforts uh, remain underway. Yeah, and it is one of those things where you really want to know kind of what, um, you know, what what regulations currently are in place, what what happened leading up to this disaster um, so that, you know, you can you can figure out how to prevent it from happening in the future. But we already do know a lot. I mean, uh, one of the interesting aspects of this is that uh, they did they did uh, have warning signs. I mean, years ago, they were told that this building had um, struck issues. And I think there was just some reporting out recently that, um, you know, that there was a lot of, um, you know, debate about the, the, the fixing of that and, and uh, how costly it would be. And, um, you know, they didn't have enough money uh, in reserve so that, uh, you know, they'd have to do special assessments. How much do you think, John, like cost is going to be a factor in this debate? I mean, this these repairs are obviously can be very costly um these inspections can be costly there there's um there's some resistance uh, there has been some resistance to stuff like that in the past uh, obviously this might scare people into um you know being more um willing to to shoulder some of those costs but you mentioned that um you know the republican legislature is often unwilling to put those those costs onto um you know onto developers and onto the the owners of buildings that have already been d- developed. But, um, you know, if, if you don't do that, it, it seems like, um, you know, you're really uh, presenting some serious uh, risks here um, going forward, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's something maybe where it gets at the, uh, the financial obligations of some of these homeowners associations, uh, these condo associations. It's, it's something that uh, I think Pizzo maybe is trying to look at where it comes to uh, what um, kind of assessments can they be required to be uh, collecting from uh, their tenants and uh, sort of allow these uh, these associations to build up uh, something of an escrow account that they'd have that would be money that uh, could be used for major repairs, such as what apparently became evident with uh, Champlain Towers South. And, um, it, I, you know, that undoubtedly slowed this process when it came to uh, the uh, condo association taking steps to try to correct some of these problems. They had to raise a ton of money, you know, out, out right. of the blue. So I, I think uh, that's something too, that, uh, you know, as I say, Pizzo is uh, also alarmed at that kind of news and feels that, that, there has to be some steps where the associations are required or have some kind of obligation to uh, keep money uh, in a fund that can be used when major structural work is needed. 
rather yeah. than trying to, you know, pass the hat and, uh, you know, worry about what impact it could have. But as, as you know, you point out, and as I pointed out, it, it, there's going to be this concern that um, are you uh, just taking money from tenants that can't afford it or, or they shouldn't be, uh, be, uh, you know, forced to, uh, pay the kind of, uh, annual assessments that sit in a fund. Uh, that's always a question. So, uh, it, it's a balancing act they got to deal with. Yeah. And you wonder about insurance requirements too. I mean, do they, these buildings have enough insurance? I mean, that's, you would think that that's, this is what insurance is for, right? I mean, the, the, you have this huge problem that comes to light and, and, uh, is your yeah. insurance company doing enough to, uh, to cover some of these costs? But uh, I guess those are all issues that will be debated going forward. Well, the Surfside disaster puts DeSantis in a difficult position politically heading into the holiday weekend. A big supporter of President Donald Trump, DeSantis normally would be expected to attend Trump's rally uh, in Sarasota on Saturday, his second big rally um, since the election. But the optics aren't good, with more than 100 people still unaccounted for in Surfside and now a potential tropical storm approaching Florida. There was a report in the Washington Examiner that DeSantis asked Trump to postpone the rally, something the governor's office denies. And uh, Trump and uh, the Florida GOP uh, and the governor's office say the rally is moving forward. But the governor's office won't say if DeSantis is attending the rally at this point. Antonio, uh, who knows? I mean, maybe with this storm approaching, uh, you know, it's not even clear what, what's going to happen with this rally. But, uh, you know, if if this does go forward, is DeSantis in risky territory here politically? Uh, yeah, he is. He is in what we might say uh, shifting sand now, which is why you saw the governor's staff scramble to retreat like you reported yesterday. Now, look, look, if there's something you don't want Donald Trump to do, the last thing you want to do is tell him not to do that. That's the surest way to have him double down on whatever it is you want him to avoid doing. And having that rally in Sarasota obviously is not a good idea. Look, I saw his speech in Ohio last week. Trump really didn't mention the Surfside tragedy, but he did go through his greatest hits repertoire, including that weird parable about the vicious snake and the naive woman that gets killed by the snake after she saves the snake. I, I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I've seen that one or many, many times. Still trying to understand what the point of that is. But, you know, the new twist here was he really went after America's military brass for their quote unquote wokeness. And, but there were there were plenty of lock him up and lock her up chants. Uh, that speech, by the way, is another matter. His greatest grievance hits uh, repertoire is starting to get stale. But that's for another day. Look, the governor understands how bad the optics are. The country will be getting a lot of bad news from Surfside in the, two, the days to come. There are still 147 people missing, and there is enough reason to fear that the number of victims will, that will be pulled out of the rubble will increase precipitously in the days ahead as more bodies are recovered. The governor is in Surfside every day. He's seeing it, and he's living it firsthand. Then there is a problem of holding a partisan rally the night before we celebrate the bipartisan Fourth of July holiday, a, and to do so in a state where so many people will be grieving and feeling profound sorrow for their fellow Floridians. And of course, there is the matter of that tropical storm that you mentioned. And of course, there is a matter that July 4th has been the date that the Biden administration has placed as kind of the America's official coming out party from the pandemic. So to be having this uber 
partisan rally with a lot of attacking of a lot of people, including you know, military leaders is just not what you want to do. And earlier I mentioned that the Trump kind of lacks empathy. Well, here you go. Exhibit A. It, it, it will be this rally. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, uh, DeSantis has a, a couple of pretty good excuses for skipping this event if he wants to. I mean, um, you know, he, he could be on stage as the death toll is, is you know, uh, you know, uh, they could announce another 50 people have have, have died from yeah. this thing, uh, you know. So, yeah. I mean, and, and he's got this, this is still an unfolding disaster. It's an active uh, search and rescue uh, scene, one of the biggest mass casualty events we've seen. And then you also have this storm brewing. We don't know what track it's going to eventually take. But between those two things, I mean, it, 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 couldn't the governor pretty easily kind of beg off here? Or do you think that he he risks uh, offending Trump if he doesn't come? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I think that he could you know, say, listen, I, I got my hands tied with the emergencies, but that's different than actually, as was reported in the Washington Examiner, and you were following up yesterday in, in doing your own work on it, you know, this thing of telling him not to hold the rally. This is two different animals. And right. let's be let's be Machiavellian here for DeSantis getting into a fight with Trump over a rally just doesn't make political sense. Why anger Trump's base? Why risk getting on Trump's bad side? which, as we have seen, it doesn't take much to get on Trump's enemies list. Um, yeah. So I, you know, and, and to do so, look, remember, as you mentioned last week, you know, Trump is a consumer, consumer of news, punditry and polls. He must surely see that Santos is growing in popularity in the GOP and Trump based circles everywhere. You know, if you're DeSantis, this is a moment to kind of walk a little bit of the eggshells. I think that he could big off not going because he's got two emergencies to deal with, but getting to a public fight over a rally, that's the, that's probably a line in the sand that you don't want to cross. Yeah. It's just a kind of a, a fascinating uh, dynamic here. The relationship between DeSantis and Trump is maybe the most interesting one in politics right now. We'll move on to um, some, some numbers. Uh, John, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, Zach, uh, 51 is the number of states we'd have if uh, Puerto Rico was made a state. Now, this push has been around for a while, but there's a, a bill in Congress sponsored by the territory's uh, non-voting representative, that's uh, Jennifer gonzalez Colon, that would uh, admit Puerto Rico to the union. And uh, one F Florida man, U.S. Senator Rick Scott, he's right in the middle of this. He has been called upon by supporters of statehood to step forward and make good on his past support for statehood. Uh, a campaign called PR 51st has been uh, pushing Scott, uh, noting that he was endorsed by Gonzalez Colon during his 2018 U.S. Senate campaign against uh, Democrat Bill Nelson after uh Nelson, I'm sorry, after Scott said that he would support statehood. And uh, he'd done a lot at that time uh, to assist with relief for the island after Hurricane Re Maria. Uh, you know, remember, that's the devastating event. Uh, Antonio uh, remembered it because he mentioned it earlier when uh, Trump was uh, tossing paper towels out in uh, relief centers uh, in near San Juan. Um, uh, Scott set up uh, welcome centers in airports in Orlando, Miami and Tampa for Puerto Ricans getting out of the uh, you know, what was then a powerless battered island. So uh, Scott was seen as a, a much more empathetic uh, figure at that point. And uh, 
you know, some think his success in courting the Puerto Rican vote in Florida helped him win his Senate seat that year. Um, you, you know, Zach, uh, I, I visited Puerto Rico for the first time right before COVID hit last year. And there's a, a chirping frog called a coqui that you hear constantly around, especially around dusk and in the evenings, kind of like crickets here on the mainland. And uh, what, what, Puerto Rico first fifty first supporters have been hearing not not cokies, but they've been hearing crickets from Senator Scott and uh, on the <laughs> statehood push. You know he's not responding at all. Scott is, after all, leading the National Republican Senatorial Committee that is raising millions of dollars for you know electing Republicans to the United States Senate, and uh, the goal being to take back command of the Senate in next year's elections. Uh, uh, Puerto Rico is a decidedly Democratic-leaning island, and uh, any talk of statehood for Puerto Rico, or you know for the District of Columbia for that matter, which is also around, uh, that that would likely add Democratic senators to the mix and uh, swing the balance away from Republicans maybe for, you know, a generation to come. Now, you know, all this is kind of speculative, but Scott is going to have to salsa his way around these past statements he's made in support of Puerto Rican statehood. And uh, it's not going to be easy. Uh, Florida now has the largest Puerto Rican population of any of the current 50 states. And uh, Puerto Rico 51st is uh, stepping up its pressure and urging that supporters send, you know, cards and emails to Scott, pushing him to sign on as a co-sponsor of the statehood bill. But uh, I, th- I think we're going to be waiting a while before we hear the sound of Koki, not uh, not not crickets <laughs> coming from uh, Scott's office right now. All right. Well, uh, you know, John Kennedy with the lesson not on just on Florida politics, but Puerto Rican politics and Puerto Rican frog species. Antonio, uh, you got a number for us? Uh, right now, I'm just dazed by my frog envy, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. You know, 45.83 is 45.83% according to Becker's Hospital Review. That is the percentage of people in Florida who are now fully vaccinated against the uh, COVID-19 virus. Now, that means 40, just shy of uh, 50 percent. That means that Florida, if you're doing the math, is one of the laggard states that is to blame if America does not meet the Biden administration's goal of 70 percent vaccinated adults by July 4th. And it looks like it in the country will fall short. And that comes, gentlemen, as the Delta variant continues to spread. On June 27th, the Wall Street Journal reported the Delta strain is accounting for about 40 percent of positive COVID-19 test samples, according to a uh, a population genomics company called Helix that the journal uh, cited. Now, what Florida's vaccination percentage doesn't include are the number of people who have immunity for COVID and its variants, presumably because they already had coronavirus. And it, but it's not clear how that immunity will defend those individuals against the Delta variant. And for that matter, you can say the same about the rest of us who have been vaccinated. We don't know. There's not enough data yet to really say whether one way or the other, whether we are fully immunized or protected against this uh, fast spreading uh, variant that has public health officials pretty worried. Point is, with everything else happening in the news, the pandemic has receded from the front pages. Florida, for example, no longer offers even daily statistics. But folks, this uh, virus is still out there. Now, I'm not trying to be chicken little here. Uh, I have big travel plans for the summer and the fall. And I certainly would like to take those uh, travel plans. But uh, COVID may have other reasons, may have other uh, plans, and particularly this Delta variant. So we, we still need to keep an eye on it. For sure. 
Well, my number is 10,000. That's the estimated number of people who came out for Trump's uh, big Sarasota rally in 2015. The event packed 4,500 people into Robarts Arena and thousands of others participated in overflow rallies or were turned away. It was one of the largest political events uh, in Sarasota history. And while Trump may not be president anymore, he's still the biggest name in the GOP, and he's expected to draw another large crowd to the Sarasota fairgrounds on Saturday. Sarasota, the police department sent out a press release yesterday warning about big traffic jams in the area. But it'll be interesting to see whether Trump can match the type of reception that he received in Sarasota during his 2016 campaign. He's still expected to draw a few thousand people. There are plenty of folks who want to see him, uh, you know, kind of go over some of his, uh, you know, familiar talking points and get into some chance of build the wall and uh, lock her up. But he's also somebody who was rejected by voters in 2020 and owns a company that now appears to be facing criminal charges. How much appeal he continues to have beyond his hardcore fan base is an open question. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production team and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.